Welcome to this podcast from Central, Jesus at the Heart. More information is available from www.jesusattheheart.org. I don't know about you, but I need summer. I need a different rhythm and a different season. I need an opportunity where life maybe isn't just so busy all of the time, where some of my responsibilities get taken away for a short season and I remember who I am and I get a chance to do some of the things I don't always get to do and God gets an opportunity to recalibrate some of the things in me so that I'm ready for a new season. And so whether you go away or stay here, whether you have time off work or don't, I really hope that there'll be something of the summer that'll do you good. And over the summer here, we're going to spend a little bit of time with Moses, um, that amazing leader of the Israelite people, God's chosen people. He goes down in history as being seen to be a standout leader of God's people. So we're going to learn from his life We're going to learn from his leadership. I really pray that he's going to point us to Jesus. We're not just going to hear some good tips from Moses' life, but he's actually going to point us straight to God. But today, we don't really get a summer's leisurely introduction to Moses. I've been asked to teach on Exodus chapter 1 and 2. So uh, Thomas said, I'd like you to do that, Kay. Um, 80 years of Moses' life in 25 minutes, if you wouldn't mind, if you could keep it a bit shorter, because it's the summer. So thank you, Thomas. This is my wedding present to you. 25 minutes, 80 years of Moses' life. We're going to buckle up and uh, get our heads into scripture. But I'm not actually going to take you to the book of Exodus, where we will spend a lot of time over the next few weeks. I'm going to take you to a passage in Acts chapter 7. But if you get a chance later to read Exodus, does one and two, where there's just a bit more of a detailed story of the first 80 years of Moses' life and the context into which he's born and lives, then please do make time to do that. You'll find that that really benefits you as we go through the story. But just now I'm going to read in from Acts chapter 7, a brilliant summary in the New Testament of what goes on in those first two chapters of Exodus. And that's often the way the Old Testament and the New Testament work. The Old Testament is like a signpost to Jesus and to everything that's coming in the New Testament. And the New Testament acts like a commentary back to explain to you what was happening in the Old Testament and why it was happening. It's all there for you to dig into. But I want to just summarise the context before we pick up the story in Acts 7. We're going to read from verse 17. But let me tell you in two minutes what's going on as we arrive at the story of Moses. So the history of the Israelite people so far, two minutes. So God's people have found their purpose and their identity under their ancestor Abraham. God speaks to Abraham and tells him he's going to have many, many descendants that down the years and down the generations, his people are going to grow and grow. And they're going to be a people that God is going to bless. And he's going to bless them so that they can bless others. And he's going to do that so everybody will know that he is God. And so Abraham has a son, Isaac, and Isaac has a son, Jacob, and Jacob has 12 sons. And those sons really are the making of the nation of Israel. God's people become a real people. 
And one of those sons of Jacob is called Joseph. And Joseph finds himself in a place of influence and authority in Egypt. And that's where God's people flee. They go there for safety and security in a time of famine. And Joseph is God's man in the right place at the right time to look after God's people. But the years have passed and Joseph has died and the leaders have forgotten that it was a good thing for Joseph to have led them. And so the place of home and safety and security is no longer that for God's people. Times have changed, times are hard, and that is the context into which Moses is born. So come with me to Acts chapter 7, that's where our story picks up. And this is actually the account of Stephen, who is about to be stoned for his faith. And he's explaining how he has come to believe in Jesus. And he starts way back at the beginning with the story of his people, just like I've done. But let me read for you from verse 17 through to verse 30 about this account of the life of Moses. As the time drew near for God to fulfill his promise to Abraham, the number of our people in Egypt greatly increased. Then another king who knew nothing about Joseph became ruler of Egypt. He dealt treacherously with our people and oppressed our forefathers by forcing them to throw out their newborn babies so that they would die. At that time, Moses was born. And he was no ordinary child. For three months he was cared for in his father's house. When he was placed outside, Pharaoh's daughter took him and brought him up as her own son. Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. When Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his fellow Israelites. He saw one of them being ill-treated by an Egyptian, so he went to his defense and avenged him by killing the Egyptian. Moses thought that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them, but they did not. The next day, Moses came upon two Israelites who were fighting. He tried to reconcile them by saying, men, you are brothers. Why do you want to hurt each other? But the man who was ill-treating the other pushed Moses aside and said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? When Moses heard this, he fled to Midian, where he settled as a foreigner and had two sons. And after 40 years had passed, and I'm not going to read the rest of that verse, but that in 13, 14 verses is 80 years of Moses' life. I don't know how you describe yourself to other people, how you would describe your identity, what really matters to you about who you are, whether it's that you're Scottish, that you're British, that you're European, whether it's your job, your place in your family, your marital status, your interests, your personality, what you would put forward to people to introduce yourself to them, to tell them who you are and what you're like. Well, I have no idea how Moses would begin at the age of 80 to tell you who he is and what he's like because there are so many different things that have contributed to his story. We only get a snapshot of each one of them. We know he's born into one family at the very beginning, an Israelite family, so a family who knew God. And this is at a time of huge persecution. 
Slavery has become the norm for them. The place of safety is no longer that for them. They're no longer welcome in the nation that they've been part of. I don't want to make a political statement tonight, but we don't have to look hard at our broken world to see these kind of things happening now. Well, this was on a massive scale for, um, for Moses' people at the time of his birth. <clears throat> Pharaoh, the leader at the time, wanted to stop the Israelites multiplying. So slavery had been his first plan, get them to do what we want, subject them to our rules and to our ways of doing things. But actually, it had almost no impact on God's people. They were living as God's people. And actually, the harder they were pushed, the more they stood up for him and the more they multiplied, the more they grew. And so Pharaoh really wasn't happy. And he gave this awful order that the midwives who attended the births of the Israelite women were to kill the firstborn boys. They were every opportunity they got to end life before it began. And the midwives, having been given such a horrendous job to do, couldn't face doing it, but were savvy enough to come up with the excuse that the women had managed to have their babies before they'd got there and managed to save their lives. And it says actually in Exodus that even the midwives became mums. God kept multiplying what he was doing. Pharaoh couldn't stop it. But then Pharaoh gets really angry, angry, like really angry. And he orders the death of the children, the male infants into the Nile, that these babies should be put to death in the place that should have been the place of life for them. The Nile was the source of life for these people. And God says, God says, Pharaoh says that that is to be the place of death. And that is the context into which Moses is born. So Moses spends his first three months hidden. And it's only when this baby cannot be hidden anymore, the crying, I guess, gets too loud. It gets too hard to hide him. And so he's placed into the reeds of the Nile. His parents trust that God is going to protect his little life. And the place where he should have died is where they put him and pray that God would do something with him. And instead of being drowned, he is found. He's found by Pharaoh's daughter. And we don't really know why, whether she was tender hearted or defiant in the face of her father's orders or what her reason was. But she chooses to give a home to this little baby Moses. But even better than that, she says, until he's of an age that the palace is the right place for him, I'm going to gift him to a family to look after him. And she gifts him back unknowingly to the family into which he was born. And we don't really know what age he was when Stephen says in verse 22 of Acts 7 that Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. But after that, until the age of 40, we hear nothing else about Moses. Absolute silence. That's Moses' life up until that point that the Bible chooses to account. Exodus 2 just says, one day after Moses had grown up, 40 years old, as if by magic, signaling the next season in his life that God is a new thing for Moses age 40. And it seems that as Moses steps onto stage at age 40, he knows that God has a call in his life to save his people. These people that he hasn't lived with since he was a young boy, he knows that God has got him for something for them. 
I don't know about you, but already I'm spotting the things for me that begin to point me to Jesus. That this man who knows that God has got him for saving his people begins to point me to the one who came to save us all. Because God is in the business of starting out people in leadership in the most unlikely places, in the most humbling of places. Moses and Jesus coming as babies into weak and persecuted contexts where their very lives were at risk, into adoptive homes where Joseph becomes Jesus' father and Pharaoh's daughter becomes Moses' mother. And the obscurity, the years of nothing, the years that we do not know what God was doing seem to be part of his preparation for these leaders that he's going to do incredible things through. Ordinary life, not really worth recording, it would seem. And yet these men step out, Jesus at 30, Moses at 40, ready for God to use them in incredible ways. How have these years qualified them for leadership? What is it about the years of obscurity that God is able to use? Well, I mean, honestly, we don't really know. It seems to be that Moses has had some phenomenal learning in the hands of the Egyptians and one of the greatest civilizations that we've ever known. But it's actually the nation of his birth that he identifies with, not the Egyptians. When he sees this Egyptian slave master beating a slave, it's not the Egyptian side that he's on. So God has done a deep work somewhere in preparation that we don't know anything about. His heart is compassionate and his reactions are strong as he steps out. What has God done in the secret place and in the quiet place? Jesus, the same. We don't really know past that small boy in the temple. What happens for the rest of those 30 years? He works and he learns. But at age 30, God has him ready for something new and to step out there. The very ordinariness of life, the obscure, the unseen, the hidden to everybody else, God is doing a deep work in them as he does in us. We might not know what he's doing. No one else might see what he's doing. They might not rate what's happening in your life just now and yet God can do that deep work of preparation for us for what he has for us next. I don't know what, what stage life is at for you just now, whether you know that actually right now you're stepping out and into the thing that God has been preparing you for, that actually now is the time to take hold of the stuff that the, the hard things and the hidden years were for. Maybe that's you. We want to celebrate that with you tonight, that God has done that deep work and now he's using you and that you are taking hold of that in every way possible. But you know that hidden and secret place still matters. That place of refining that nobody sees, God still needs to use and will use for us. But maybe tonight you really need to know the hope of that. That actually you feel like you're in that place of obscurity. That nobody really understands, least of all you, what God is doing. And how what he's doing now counts for the future. But you know God knows. And Moses' testimony to that. And Jesus is testimony to that. Will we trust the work of God in our lives? Will we trust him even in the confusing times that he knows what he's doing? Because Moses at the age of 40 
is a complete mix of everything that has happened to him up until this stage. He's a mix of the home that he was born into and the faith that was nurtured in him and the education and the opportunity and the breeding of the palace. The two together combine to make Moses who he is. The small child and the maturing adult. It's that blend that God is able to use. Aristotle said this, you'll I'm sure know this phrase. He said, give me a child until he is seven and I will show you the man. The things that Moses' family had poured into him in these very few precious years that they had him right at the beginning have shaped him. They've made him the man that he's become. And so at the age of 40, he's ready to defend them. But straight away, he has this false star. He murders a man in no time at all from us seeing him in the public space and he flees. And I don't know, as you think about leadership or you think about God using you or you think about taking hold of what God has for you, maybe your mistakes have been many. Maybe you had a false start. The very first time you tried to step out for God, you had a bit of a Moses experience. And yet 40 years old isn't the end of Moses. God knows these years for Moses. He was with them in Midian, as he'd been with them in the palace, as he'd been with them in the home, as he'd been with them in the reeds. God is faithful. And the things that he plants in us, God can continue to grow no matter how many years later that comes. So those things planted in young Moses come to fruition in the man. You might be sitting here as parents praying, yes, Lord, would that be true for my children who right now aren't walking with the Lord? Maybe you need that to be true for you today as you think back to things that God has spoken to you, done in you, given to you, and you have not yet seen the fullness of fruition of that. God can continue to grow the things that he started in you. Do you know, God looks forward. All the time, God looks forward. He doesn't spend time looking back. He looks forward. He has our futures in mind. He has the things that he's got us for. He's got the Jesus likeness in us on his mind. It's forward that God looks with us and asks us to look. My children are uh, 10 and nearly 14 now. They started life in really chaotic homes. They were in their early years subjected to neglect as an everyday reality, anger, and uh, chaos where what they experienced as an everyday thing, hopelessness, no joy, I think just grey is how life was for them a lot of the time. And my boy was eight, eight and a half actually, when he came to us. And so Aristotle would have quite a lot to say about my boy. And I know that he'll have many hard things that lie ahead for him in the years to come. And yet, those things in his past do not define him because God is interested in our futures. He will take the things of our past just as he does with Moses, but they do not write the whole story. Moses' time in the basket and in the palace, the mistakes that he made, the murder that he caused do not define him because God is still writing the story. Your life isn't defined by the family that you grew up in. 
My life isn't defined by my father's insecurity or my mother's anger, though for many years I worried that it would be. And I don't expect to face the lack that I knew in my family home because my God is pointing me forward and he points me to his kingdom and to his ways, not the things that I've known in my history. And he does the same for Moses. Moses, we're going to see, is going to continue to look forward and to God, not to back to the things that have happened. And yet, God is going to use everything about Moses to do what he wants to do. He's going to use his identity as an Israelite. He's going to use his confidence from the Egyptian palace. He's going to use his understanding of everything that he's learned and seen and known for his goodness and for his glory. And you see, Moses' leadership won't just be defined by the places that he grew up. His nurture is not the only thing that God is interested in. We'll hear about Moses' nature, what he was like, how he was wired, what his personality is like, because God uses those things. Moses, we've seen, is compassionate. We've also seen him as pretty impulsive already, um, causing that murder. We've seen him as quite fearful, fleeing and hiding for 40 years. There may be not my top asks in someone that I would want to lead me and yet God takes his personality and will begin to use it to shape the leader that he wants him to become and he takes Moses choices the things that Moses chooses to do I love Moses choices already we're seeing him choose to stand with the oppressed choose to be a man of action You see in Exodus 2, him choosing to serve other people in really simple but important ways. He chooses to marry into a good family and he chooses to keep trusting God. His choices are good. And so Moses' nature and his nurture and his choices conspire to make him a man that God can use. At 80 years old, he's ready. And yet, you know, he's not. He's not really ready, but that's next week's story. He's not as ready as he would want to be. And yet, he's ready because God has done a work. He's done a significant work in Moses in all of these things that have happened to him. But Moses will doubt it. And do you know, other people will doubt it because Moses' leadership isn't so very different from Jesus' leadership. Already you're hearing that the people he tries to lead aren't sure that they want him to lead them. He's already defying expectations of what people think a leader has to look like. And they're not sure that they want to be led by him. Jesus didn't satisfy everybody's expectations of leadership. The people that he came to lead didn't all want to be led by him. But I don't know how interested you are in hearing about leadership this summer. I don't know whether you think leadership has got anything to do with you. Well, let me tell you right now, absolutely it has. Every single one of us is called by God to lead. As soon as we choose to follow Jesus, we walk into a life of leadership. We're called to lead in so many different ways and in so many different places. First, foremost, we've got to lead ourselves. If we can't lead ourselves into lives of following the things that God shows us and teaches us and calls us to be and to go, 
then we haven't a hope of leading anybody else. But we lead ourselves. Every day we make choices about whether we'll go in the direction that God calls us to, whether we'll um, listen to his word, whether we'll choose to be faithful to his promises and to his teachings. We lead ourselves every single day. And we lead the people that we're in relationship with. We lead the people we live with, the people we work with, our friends. Our influence leads people as they see our lives, as they see our choices, as they see how we love Jesus. We influence, we lead. We don't have to be the leader in any situation to influence. We have that opportunity to be a leader whether people ask us to be or not. And we lead others in faith. That call of Jesus to make disciples is a call to lead. It's a call to find people who don't know him yet and introduce them to Jesus. It's an ask to get alongside people who want to grow in faith and get to know Jesus better and to just share our learning with them, to share our story, to call out the good. It's a call to leadership, discipleship, is leadership. And then, do you know, a few of us might get asked to fulfill a role or a responsibility of leadership. But whether or not that's the ask or the badge or the lanyard or the job title that we're given, we lead. And so the things that are true for Moses and the things we're going to learn about Moses this summer are going to help us as we lead ourselves and as we lead others. Where it's obvious that we're leading and where it's just between God and us that we're doing the things that we're doing. And do you know that who you are right now, God can use to lead. Every single bit of your story, God will use to shape the leader he wants you to be. Right now, he can use you. The mistakes, the stuff that was there in your upbringing, the personality stuff, the choices, the ambitions, it all, he can use it. Are we ready to be like Moses? Though? Are we ready to be a work in progress? Moses steps up to the plate, ready but not ready. Are we ready to be ready but not ready for what God would have for us? Ready to say yes, ready to trust that he'll use the stuff that he's done, even when we don't feel ready. Ready to celebrate the stuff that shaped us, the stuff that he's used to grow us, the stuff that's been hard and the stuff that's been good. Every single part of it, God is going to use. I am a total mix today of every good and hard thing that my life has brought me. I'm a mixture of my family and my personality and my failed exams and my good relationships and my broken relationships and my opportunities and every single workplace that I have ever worked, the ones I loved and the ones I absolutely hated. I am a mixture of all of those people and every day God uses something in me that he has placed there through the path that I've walked as he's taught me and nurtured me and grown me and healed me he uses me. What's your story? What are the unique things that are part of your story, the good and the hard that God is going to use to shape and to lead and to bring hope and life to other people? There is not a single part of it that he is unable to use. He will use it. And you know, God doesn't forget. He doesn't forget the things that are there. He doesn't forget those of us who think, no, not me. That couldn't be me. 
I see it in other people, but my stuff, my stuff's never had the good, it's always had the hard. Or my stuff, it actually does disqualify me. The secret and the obscure. Well, God says in Exodus chapter two, at the end of the account of the 80 years of Moses' life, he says, during that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out. And their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. He will take everything. The things you've forgotten and the things that you wished that you could forget. He will take it all because he does not forget about us. His promises remain. I don't know if you saw a rainbow this morning. I did as I was coming in here this morning. And it was probably one of the faintest rainbows I have ever seen. And yet it was there. So I don't know what it looks like for you to dare to believe that God could use you. The things that he's spoken to you about in the past that might still be for your future, that he can still use you, that his promises are still true. Well, God's promises are still true no matter how faint they might seem. They are still real and he is still able to take murderers and turn them into people who can release others from slavery and bring life and hope to them. If he can do it with Moses, he can do it with us. Even Moses' fleshy, mistake-ridden life can point us to Jesus and we can do the same. Whatever your start in life, however flaky your personality, how many bad choices you have made, God will take every one of his children, every part of our story, and do something incredible with it. Are you ready for that? Do you want to be ready for that? If you're up for that, would you stand with me if you're able? I'm going to pray for us that we would be ready for God to take everything, the stuff that others know about and the stuff that no one knows about. And ask that he would use it for his glory. So Lord, we, we say that we come tonight with nothing really and yet a whole load of stuff. You know every experience, every place that we've been, every relationship that we have had. And Lord, I thank you that in your plans and purposes, none of it is wasted. And so Lord, I ask just now that you would remove fear for us, fear from the things that might hold us back or that have changed us that you couldn't use us. Thank you, Lord, that that is not true. We thank you that there is nothing in our past to fear and nothing in our past that prevents us from the call that you've got for our lives. And so Lord, we just ask that we would be ready for whatever you want to show us in this life of Moses. We invite you to do that restoration work that takes the hard stuff and builds it into something good, that takes the mistakes and uses them to shape us. Lord, we give it to you. We ask as we wait on you, Holy Spirit, would you even now begin to shape and to change us that our lives would bring hope to everybody we meet as we tell our story of Jesus through our experience of a transformed life.
And so, Lord, we're ready. We're ready, but we're not really ready. We need to be works in progress. So would you help us to say yes? Would you help us to believe that you're good? Would you help us to look forward and not back? Would you help us to look to you and not to ourselves, to your promises and not to our mistakes? Because we trust you, because you're good. Thank you, Lord. Amen. So the band are going to come and lead us in some worship just now. If you would love somebody to pray with you, maybe there's some stuff in the past You would just love to know that once and for all it's behind you, but you would love to know redemption or restoration of it for you. They'd love to pray hope and healing and future into you where you've known past and regret. Maybe you know that God's got something for you to step up into. They'd just love to pray for you as you get yourself ready to step into that thing. Maybe you'd love God to pray for your children. You know, you'd love others to pray for your children with you before God, rather. And and we'd love to do that too. So just take this time to worship and to make every opportunity to bring these things to him.